Hi, folks, and welcome to the show. It's good to see you again. It's been a while since our last NCNC podcast. I have several things I'd like to talk with you about today. One is the healthcare situation state employees are finding themselves in. Another is the myth of the teacher shortage that may or may not be a myth and just will not die. And then finally, I want to talk to you about my experience a week or so after attending NCAE's Instructional Leadership Institute. I did an episode uh, a week or two ago uh, where I detailed how I tried to meet the homework requirements of that institute, both via the show and via the time I spent in the K-12 classroom. And today I want to reflect a little bit on some of the things that I learned, some of the things that I noticed, and how it might be affecting my thinking moving forward. So that'll be the show right after our trusty lead-in. Knock, knock, knock. Here comes the doc. It's the NCNC podcast with your host, Doc Carter. All right, folks, about a week ago, NCAE members got an email from President Mark Jewell in which he discussed the situation with the Office of the State Treasurer and our health insurance. This is what it says. It says, I know there have been considerable concerns around what has been going on with the state health plan and the attempts to get doctors and hospitals to sign a new contract. We want to update you with all the information we have at this time. So, of course, this is Mark Jewell speaking on behalf of NCAE. This is by way of review, this all started earlier this year when the Office of the State Treasurer announced its clear pricing project. And so, essentially, the state treasurer has decided that there is too much ambiguity and too much mystery behind the pricing vendors or providers have been sharing. He, according to his own words, would like to sort of lift the veil on some of that opaqueness and make it a little bit more transparent and also help to cut costs where possible, not necessarily cut services, but to make sure that the state and the state employees are not being gouged, which sounds noble enough, but let's continue. The problem with the clear pricing project is that there was a deadline for providers to sign up onto the new contract on July 1st, 2019. But by that point, some providers had signed up, but no major health systems or hospitals had. This would leave significant portions of the state without in-network providers for most medical needs. As a result, these providers would be considered out-of-network effective January 1st, 2020. Out-of-network providers can charge any amount they choose, and if the SHP doesn't cover the entire amount, the state health plan that is, they can bill patients for the rest. Now, the Treasurer's Office has announced a modification to the contract terms and has increased the reimbursement rates for most providers and has extended the deadline to sign until August 5th. That's only a few days from now. As far as NCAE was aware, there are still no major hospitals or health networks that have signed unto the plan. NCAE has been in contact with the Treasurer's Office about this issue, and they have expressed deep concern about the way the process has been handled. Now, on July 29th, Keith Poston of Education Matters had an interview with the state treasurer. The state treasurer's name is Dale Falwell, 
and it uh, characterizes this situation as a bitter battle with the state's hospitals and healthcare networks over pricing, and the contract dispute has more than 700,000 teachers, state employees, retirees, and their dependents caught in the middle. So we're not just talking about teachers here, but we're also talking about other state employees. I think Mr. Falwell uh, mentioned state troopers several times. Keith Poston also interviewed a couple of teachers, Susan Ringo, a librarian from Wilkes County, and Mike Landers, an English teacher from Cabarrus County. I strongly suggest that you find that video. It's ednc.org. Education Matters is the name of the show. The title of the episode is State Health Plan Standoff. It is episode 107 of Education Matters. It only runs about 25-30 minutes. The first half is the interview with Falwell and the second half is the interview with the two teachers. And in that interview, Falwell does say, hey, I'm working, I'm trying to get this resolved. The treatment that North Carolina teachers and other state employees have had uh, in terms of what they're being charged and what some certain companies, I suppose, think is an acceptable price has not necessarily been forthcoming in ways that he's excited about or uh, happy with. And so if we take him at his word, it sounds like we have someone who is a real fighter for us. On the other hand, there is a document floating around from educationpolicy.com, and this is called A Brief History of North Carolina's Attempts to Reduce Membership in the North Carolina State Health Plan under Falwell and others. And it says things like the North Carolina State Health Plan has a $34.4 billion in unfunded liabilities. This is assuming the total cost if all current employees retired at once plus the cost of current retirees. It says for fiscal year 2017, the state controller's annual financial report listed the state health plan would need $2.65 billion to keep pace with liabilities, but received only $2.26 billion in state funding. And frankly, this was something that Falwell said too, that the state health plan has been underfunded for over 40 years. And that's something that he acknowledges and that he's, that's something that he's dealing with. This educated policy document goes on to, to look at May 2017. It says, instead of waiting for the fall open enrollment period, state employees receive messages exhibiting telltale signs of a scam, instructing them to resubmit a copy of the first page of their tax returns or children's birth certificates in order to prove they are not fraudulently covering spouses or dependents other under the state health plan. So in other words, we're going to look for fraud from the people who are actually using the service as opposed to assuming that we're being overcharged or dealing with dishonest providers said that failure to submit documentation by July 31st of that year would result in removal of the spouse and dependents on August 1st. Uh, this document says 600 people were removed, but actual numbers of fraudulent removals since appeals were heard have not been updated. They go on to say that in June of 2017, the state legislature passed a budget including a provision that eliminated health coverage and retirement for state employees and teachers hired after January 1st, 2021. And that is something that NCAE has been trying to get restored uh, because that is simply an egregious uh, error of judgment. On December 2018, the state employees received new insurance ID cards along with a letter from Treasurer Falwell imploring them to remember taxpayers pay for their insurance so employees must control their medical costs. One month later, the state surrendered $900 million with an additional corporate income tax 
cut. Okay, so I was teaching at December 2018, and I remember getting that letter and thinking it was really strange. It was almost like a chastisement from uh, Falwell, and that didn't make much sense. I also know that a media outlet recently reported Berger has looked at this new study that says when people had Medicare, the actual cost of um, them being served went up which was sort of one of those no-dust studies. I mean, apparently Berger is using the study to say, well, you know, this is going to increase costs. It's going to be a burden on our medical system. But it's really a no-dust study because essentially what Berger learned, if I read correctly, was that people with health insurance or access to affordable health care tend to use it. Heaven forbid that be the case. Anyway, back into this educated policy document. Um, they also mentioned that on July 1st, 2019, there was a date by which the health care providers must sign on to Treasurer Falwell's Clearing Price Project. Only three hospitals and fewer than half of health providers signed on to the plan. Any providers who did not sign on will become out of network in 2020, and that's where we are now if we can't get things settled and fixed and patched up uh, by August 5th. August 5th, 2019, the sign-up window is reopened, and this is the new deadline by which providers can sign on to the clear pricing project and remain in the state health plan network. So I'm, I'm reading this as verbatim as I possibly can. Um, there's a little bit of parallelism uh, problems here within the grammar, but that's okay. I'm reading it as best I can. October 1st, 2019, so just a couple months away. Open enrollment begins for 2020 state health care plan coverage. A resolution to the clear pricing project by this date is needed, and if it moves forward, will likely lead to employees shopping around for other insurance programs for themselves, spouses, or dependents in the face of increased out-of-pocket costs. And then finally, this document lists January 1st, 2020 as a date the new state health plan network takes effect. So there was a time when if you were an educator, you knew you were not going to get paid particularly well. You might have been able to have counted on master's pay or pay for other advanced degrees. You knew you were going to get your experience bumps. And maybe they would even keep up with the cost of inflation. Cost of living increases have been more burdensome than they have in the past because the raises that we've been getting getting have not kept up. Furthermore, Falwell and Berger are right. Costs have continued to climb, to skyrocket, we might even say. But there was a time when even if you knew you weren't getting paid particularly well as a teacher, you could rely on the excellent benefits. And that was one of the things that would keep you in there and keep you going because you knew that while the state couldn't necessarily take care of you financially in terms of salary, they did care enough about the time that you put in to make sure that they could help you be healthy and help you have a good benefits package while you were teaching and then after you were done. That is not the case anymore. The benevolence of our bipartisan governance has shattered. Somewhere around 2010, 2013, maybe it was because of Alec, maybe it's because of Coke influence, maybe it's just because we've got a lot of assholes in places they shouldn't be. But the benevolence, the idea that we need to take care of state employees, it's gone particularly when it comes to teachers. And so this idea that teachers need to shop around, that is a radical departure from what teaching has been in this state 
all right and particularly when it was at its best so this idea of having to shop around especially if you have a spouse or dependents and heaven forbid you have some pre-existing conditions or that your spouse or children have pre-existing conditions that's going to limit your options in terms of what you can afford and what is available for you often if you have pre-existing conditions and there are not provisions to keep uh, providers from doing it they will charge you more because you've shown a history of being ill which means you might actually use the service that you're paying for uh, this is similar to car insurance if you've got a history of tickets or being in accidents well you're seen as more of a liability and that's the sort of beneficence that's the sort of goodwill that teachers are getting and will continue to get if things are not patched up in some sort of suitable way uh, so is Falwell joining the cartel of Berger and Johnson and Speaker Moore and these who have repeatedly shown themselves not to care about anybody but themselves in their own re-election campaigns? Or is he honestly telling us, I'm working on this, I'm trying to make sure that we can give you a good plan and I don't want us to be gouged any longer because maybe I see that I shouldn't have chastised you back in December and I should have looked not at you all for actually spending money on the service that you're paying for, but the providers that are maybe charging us more than they need to. You're going to have to decide that on your own. I can tell you that Falwell <laughs> seemed very sort of irked <laughs> with Poston on the show. I, I think he was looking for a handshake on air that he didn't get. But I did notice that Poston turned away from both sets of interviewees and faced the camera when their segments were up. So I don't know if they shook hands after that or not, but I can tell you that you got to go see the video. Falwell did look a little irked that maybe he didn't get his handshake, but he, he came prepared. Uh, he came with facts. He came with stats. He came with piles of paper. And, you know, the two teachers that were on there after Falwell's segment, they were not necessarily critical of Falwell. But you could tell they were trying to figure out whether they should be. All right. When, at what point, should we be critical of him? And I think the jury is still out in terms of what most teachers are thinking now because we just don't know what's going to happen. Right now, we're sort of in a hurry up and wait, cross your fingers, pray to whomever you pray, and just hope this gets worked out. I think if it does not get worked out in a way that NCAE feels is adequate for teachers teachers across the state, then we are going to see more problems, and I think Falwell will run the risk of being sort of pushed into that Coke, Alec, somebody out there bigger than anybody in North Carolina is pulling the strings, and now he must be pulling your strings too, and I think he has to be wary of that and think is that what he really wants people to think about him because it's going to happen just politically it's going to happen he's already a republican and he's going to be aligned with the worst of the worst republicans that we have that are in the most powerful positions that we have or he's going to be seen as a person who tried to do his best and it just couldn't work out having already sort of chastised teachers in the past though he's got a very short tolerance i think to work with but we'll see uh, as i record this it is the evening of the 29th of july we've got a few more days to see if we can get more people to join on i will tell you again that you should go see the episode of education matters it was education matters episode 107 you can get that at ednc.org the host was keith poston his interviewees were state treasurer of north carolina dale falwell and Susan Ringo and 
Mike Landers, who are teachers in Wilkes and Cabarrus counties, respectively. There are also some great resources there. Uh, if you need to follow up on the DPI, iStation, Amplify debacle that continues to rage, uh, but there are also some conversations about the interview segments, uh, particularly an NC Forum article uh, called Teachers, State Employees Caught in the Middle as State Treasurer Hospitals Battle Over State Health Plans. That'll give you um, a lot more details if that's what you want. And there's also um, an article from what looks like the Winston-Salem Journal, too. So this is where we are. Let's cross fingers. Let's uh, call our people and maybe even call Falwell directly and ask him to keep working and make sure that when the deadlines come, we're going to have something that is at least a semblance of the health care that we've had previously such that we don't have to shop around and that's one less thing that we educators and our families have to worry about. All right, so now we're going to transition into segment two. It's the teacher shortage myth that will not die. Caffeinated rage blogger Stu Egan has published another article on the North Carolina teacher shortage. News of certain districts having so many unfulfilled positions, unfilled positions is circulating. I have covered this topic multiple times, and I continue to point out the Commercation blog written by Peter Green, where he talks about the teacher shortage. It's not really being a teacher shortage, but a hiring shortage. And for some reason, folks, certain folks in certain organizations seem to really want to buy into the narrative of it being a true teacher shortage. Now, my guess is in certain areas, most states do have teacher shortages. Math, science, special ed, often an area in which districts have teacher shortages. Other areas, um, PE, English language arts, social studies, uh, it's more touch and go. But we've got people saying North Carolina has a severe teacher shortage. In fact, the caffeinated rage blogger says North Carolina has a severe teacher shortage. Raleigh deliberately created it. So this was published on July 29th, 2019. Um, this blogger goes on to say that lawmakers like Tim Moore and Phil Berger point to raises given mostly to the lower rungs of the pay scale and then boost the average pay, then boast that the average pay raise for all teachers is now higher, but that that is part of their scam. That's absolutely true that that's part of their scam. Uh, we don't get necessarily accurate information about teacher salaries from our leaders in Raleigh, um, not in the legislative building anyway. Goes on to talk about seeing these want to teach signs, which I've certainly seen around as well. You may have too. The big red signs that say want to teach, when can you start? And then NorthCarolinaTeachers.org in blue underneath. He says that there's one of these signs in Winston-Salem on Highway 52 going south towards Lexington. And that's probably why I've seen it. I'm up that way quite a bit. This is literally right past Winston-Salem State University, which has a very good teacher pro preparation program. That's one of several universities in the Winston-Salem, Greensboro, High Point area where you can get a teacher licensure if you want. He says here, Winston-Salem also has three other institutions of higher learning that trains teachers. He calls them Salem College, Piedmont International, and Wake Forest University. Of course, there's also UNCG. There's High Point University, which I think uh, has a teaching, a teaching licensure option in there as well. He then talks about a blog post from Sweet Baby Dane West's blog, History of Mr. West, uh, where Dane says, as of July 23rd, 
which is approximately one month before school starts for most traditional calendars, there are 7,228 openings, and I suppose that's in the state. He gives a list below. I'm including all open positions because, as we know, it takes all those positions to properly support our students. And I, I'm okay with that. He's including coaches, substitute, transportation, administration, and central office people. Okay. He even broke it down, apparently, according to all um, local education agencies. And he focuses on Winston-Salem for Scythe County's uh, particular. And that is um, a school system where the caffeinated rage blogger is very familiar. He says... Winston-Salem Forsyth County Schools has over 200 unfilled positions, and there are over 7,000 unfilled statewide. And apparently the educated, excuse me, the caffeinated rage blogger feels that Dane's point is evidence enough that we have a teacher shortage. Now let me tell you something. I've applied to an English teacher position at the caffeinated rage bloggers homeschool. I asked him via Twitter how many people applied to that position. I haven't gotten a reply as of the time of this podcast publication, and I may not. I live not that far away from Winston-Salem for Scythe County Schools, and I've had multiple interviews with them, and have put in scores of applications with them. Now, let's talk a little bit about me. As you may know, I left Rowan Salisbury Schools of my own accord. I just didn't like the way they did business. I didn't was not a good fit for my school, uh, and I felt like it was time for me to leave. So I left of my own accord in January. I am now certified in three areas, English Language Arts, K-12 AIG, and K-12 ESL or ELL. I've been teaching and tutoring since 1999, actually 1996. I have experience at the middle school level, the high school level, the community college level, the undergraduate level as a teacher educator, and at the graduate level as a teacher educator. I have, in some of my documents that you can see online, for example, my academia.edu page, a history of innovative curriculum, of culturally responsive curriculum, of innovating in terms of student choice, not just in terms of what they read, but also how they show mastery of what they've read. I have students who have gone through my classes who are now teaching all over the United States, North Carolina and the rest of the United States, all over the place. Now, am I really such a bad interview that I've been unable to get one of those jobs? Certainly I'm qualified. Well, do I think that Angelo Delasani, the principal at Carson High School, is so, so petty that he is keeping me from getting a job? You giving me a bad reference? Maybe. Certainly I was critical of him in many ways and continue to be critical of some of the things that I think that he was doing that he shouldn't have been doing. Is Christy Roan, the director of HR there, uh, getting in the way? Well, certainly I've been critical of the way she's done things on the podcast and in other venues. Is it Lynn Moody, who seems to have the support of some execrable politicians such as Larry Pittman, Mark Johnson, and Phil Berger? Uh, Is she getting in the way? Well, certainly I've been critical of her. Is it the school board at Rowan Salisbury Schools that's getting in the way? Is it that I'm just really that bad of an interview? That I'm just not good enough for Winston-Salem for Scythe County Schools with my public Ivy PhD in English education from the University of Virginia and my experience teaching writing, creative writing, my publication experience, my um, freshman composition experience, my green, not blue, but green EVOS scores, not that I give two shakes about EVOS, but others do, and my scores are not particularly terrible. Am I such a bad interview, or um, is it that I've been outspoken 
that have been outspoken about silliness in ed policy, stupidity in ed policy, corruption in ed policy in the state. Uh, who knows? You know, I can't say for sure. I wouldn't be surprised if any one or any combination of those folks whom I just mentioned over the last oh, 45 seconds or so was trying to keep me down. Generally, what seems to happen is I have an interview. I'm told I'm going to hear back, and then I just never hear back. And they just sort of toss me around. They, you know, they either say, well, no, no decision's been made, or they generally they don't say anything at all. And so here I see that Winston-Salem for Scythe County Schools has all of these openings. Huh. And I wonder, am I the only one? And so I have a charge for you. We need some help. We need what I think is some legislation to help us see once and for all if what we have is truly a teacher shortage or is it a hiring shortage such that it's not that people aren't applying. It's not even that well-qualified people aren't applying. It's that districts, for whatever reason, want a certain type of teacher who is going to be complacent, who is going to be inexpensive, who is, for whatever reason, either because they don't know any better or uh, they just sort of like to go along to get along, it's not going to make waves when they're asked to do some of the terrible things that we're asked to do in terms of showing student growth uh, and other things that run counter to best practice and research-based education. So I've contacted my representative and my senator today, and I've asked them for legislation, and I'm going to read you a little bit of what, uh, what I've written, what I've sent out to them. It says, We shouldn't have to take it for granted that we are being told the truth about a teacher shortage, especially when the issue might be more insidious and actually be a hiring shortage. Join me in contacting your legislative representatives for help parsing out this issue. Let's see if the teacher shortage is real. Because, hey, I mean, Dane can talk about the openings all he wants. That is only part of the story. We need to know who is actually applying and why or why not those positions are remaining open. So anyway, let's see if this teacher shortage is real. Call or email your representatives and your senators and ask for legislation to help gather data so the public can see the information for themselves. So I'm asking you to contact the North Carolina legislators that represent you and ask them to sponsor, uh, create and sponsor legislation that will make public the number of applicants for every K-12 position posted in the state of North Carolina. Now, most of our schools are either using AppleTrack or Teacher Match, so I don't think as technophilic as we are in this state, particularly when it comes to education issues, I don't think it will be any problem at all to ask someone or to look for vendors who can create that software uh, such that whenever an application is completed, that a number is added to it and that there is a website, whether it be Teacher Match or uh, AppleTrack or more likely what it would need to be would be a third-party website. You can go look at a position to see how many people have applied to it. All right, if no one is applying to it, well, then, yeah, we probably do have a teacher shortage. But if we have multiple people applying to it, we need to ask, is this really the Republican legislator that is to blame here? All right, because they've ran off teachers who don't want to put up with the crap they're going to have to put up with to be a teacher in North Carolina? Or is something happening at the district level? All right, and generally in North Carolina, uh, once you get away from the state legislature, um, you're as likely to have 
Republicans as you are Democrats in at leadership positions, even though I think once you move on beyond the classroom teacher, uh, in my experience, it seems like we have more Republicans or closeted Republicans than maybe we know. But anyway, I would like for legislation to make public the number of applicants to every K-12 position uh, in the state of North Carolina. And you can certainly extend that to um, transportation, to principals as well, if we like. I'd be fine with that. I'd also like for this uh, legislation or this program, this tech program, to allow for applicants to anonymously volunteer information like years of experience and their highest degree earned as public data in aggregate as well. So let's say that I apply to a position, oh, I don't know, West Forsyth High School. And yes, I have done that. And at the end of my application process, I click submit and the program somewhere as a tally and it shows that five people have applied to that but I'm also prompted hello would you like to anonymously tell us how many years of teaching experience you have and I say yes I've got X number of years experience would you also like to tell us what your highest level of education is and it can say you know bachelor's, master's, ed specialist, EDD, PhD, uh, and that data can be added too, such that we can see who's applying, what credentials they have, and do a little bit of research to see, huh, there's a problem. Because I'll bet the parents of the PTA members in that building or in that district would love for their students to be taught by someone with a PhD in English education. Or would love to have a 20-year veteran as opposed to a brand new teacher. There, Maybe they wouldn't. Maybe I'm wrong. But we got to do something. Because there's data out there to suggest there may be a teacher shortage, but the data is weak for that right now especially when there's also data out there to suggest that it's not a teacher shortage, it's a hiring shortage. So please join me in asking our legislators to create this system such that we make public the number of applicants to every K-12 position in the state of North Carolina and that we allow applicants to anonymously volunteer information like years of experience and highest degree earned as uh, public data that the public can see as well. I go on to say some are claiming North Carolina has a teacher shortage, but I wonder if it might simply be a hiring shortage. Let's find out. Legislation like the above would help all citizens see for themselves whether there are truly shortages of candidates in North Carolina schools and maybe even see candidates' credentials, of course, anonymously. Legislation such as outlined above will help us see if we have a teacher shortage or a hiring shortage and offer insight into why qualified people may not be getting hired, if that is the case, and or show the public where there are true areas of need for teachers and where, based on the number of applicants, there is not. So we know, yeah, absolutely, the caffeinated rage blogger is right. Raleigh has had an influence on whether people want to be, become, or continue to be teachers in North Carolina. Is it the Republican legislator, though? We, we want to blame them, right? And, and rightfully so, more than likely. Um, but if this is a district-level problem, all right, and what we really have is leaders who are looking for compliant, obedient cheap labor well i think the people of north carolina need to be able to see that or at least see data that would suggest that that is the case versus this being something that's coming from raleigh of course it could be both it could be a trickle down effect where the people in raleigh are saying hey we would really like to privatize all public education we don't want you to hire anyone who is experienced, knowledgeable, certainly was going to be expensive because they have multiple years of experience or they have, um, you know, degrees that actually suggest they truly know what they talk about. Grow your own. That way you can influence them in certain ways and, um, you know, look for other hiring trends. 
or the trends that uh, you can use to justify not hiring folks and let's just use this idea of a teacher shortage and let them buy into the narrative that there's a teacher shortage so that we can use even more ed tech programs. We can replace teachers with computers uh, or online learning or allow for more vouchers and charter schools because apparently we can't staff our traditional public schools. Yeah, we need more information. We can't say it's a teacher shortage. Dig deeper. Historically, sometimes there's a teacher shortage in certain areas, but it might very well be a hiring shortage because there are people who are experienced and know what they're talking about, but districts look at that and say, well, this person is going to be a rabble rouser because I wouldn't put up with this either if I didn't want to be a careerist and try to be a district superintendent or what have you someday. So I'm asking you to contact your leaders and ask them for legislation that will do as I have asked already. Make it clear to the public how many people are applying to every single teaching position in North Carolina and also make it with somewhere in the program where people can say I've got X years of experience and I've got these credentials. Am I certified? Am I certified in the area of, of the a position in which I've applied? Do I have advanced degrees? Because the public needs to know. And that's how we'll know, assuming that we can gather that data accurately and with integrity, whether we truly have a teacher shortage where no one is applying to the positions, or we've got a hiring shortage because people are applying, and districts, whether because the state wants them to do so or they're just doing it on their own, are playing fast and loose with hiring rules. All right, now to our third and final segment. I did a show a couple of weeks ago called Doc Carter Does His Homework where I explored with you all my process as a member of NCAE's Instructional Leadership Institute, or ILI. Uh, this is my second year going to ILI, which meant I get to go, go to Raleigh and hang out at the NCAE building for a couple of days. I did that last year and I've had two reconnects this past year. They've allowed me to stay in the program um, despite my situation, which I'm very appreciative of. Um, but we've got three pillars. I'm not going to go over the pillars here. You can go back to Doc Carter does his homework and listen to that episode and get more information there. But now I'm on the, the back end of it. I've gone to ILI and I want to reflect a little bit about that process. One of the reasons I want to do so is because I've been thinking about future episodes and uh, I've been thinking about doing the white boy's guide to being a teacher education major or the first generation college student's guide to being a teacher education major from a you know the, the poor white boy's guide to wokeness and teacher education programs something like that i haven't figured out how i'm going to race gender it or what have you but i've been thinking about doing something in the show that would be geared towards new teacher education majors as i said earlier i am a former teacher educator i have completed several segments that could be geared towards new career educators or teacher educators, but nothing um, specific now. I mean, I could do a clip show, but even if I do a clip show, I'd like to have something new. Uh, so um, I'd like to reflect on my experience at ILI because I think there may be something there for future shows. 
so generally speaking, ILI was a blast. It was a blast last year. It was a great time this year. I enjoy being in a group of like-minded teacher educators who see teacher advocacy and student advocacy as part of our mission. I always have a hangover when I come back from NCAE events because I'm with folks who I really seem to jive well with and I really like the energy most of the time. Uh, and then when I was working for Roy and Salisbury Schools, I had to come back to a place where I really did not fit in and often did not get along with the leadership structure so you know it was it was a big letdown it was literally like coming down off a drug when i would come back and of course now i one of the things i'm, I'm seeing is oh my gosh all these people talking about things that you know i could actually be the one talking about uh, i could have delivered and may have delivered a pd on certain things that they were talking about and you know i could i could be there of course the idea is that Everyone who is in the room and who's sitting down getting the instruction will be in that role. Uh, so that's not me speaking out of turn. But, you know, I do have experience leading PD and, and um, being a national speaker and what have you. Uh, but th that was not so much the issue as it was, gosh, I, you know, I feel like I really belong here and I can really be helpful in the ways that these people are being helpful or in ways that would supplement the ways that they are being helpful. Uh, and then when the participants were talking about issues in their schools and the problems that they have and hearing them, particularly if I had actually applied to their schools and hadn't heard from anybody or what have you, but hearing how I know I could have helped those students or helped those teachers uh, and then going back to a situation where I come back home and you know I'm, I, I seem to be underutilized, that is particularly depressing. Uh, so the high is a wonderful high, and I just wish that I was being given the opportunity to parlay it back into uh, a position where the skills that I used to be able to show off, I can still show off, um, or uh, where I can help other people develop the skills. That's really what I want to do. I want to be a facilitator of some regard, um, not necessarily always be a classroom teacher, but move into a situation where I can help other people be good classroom teachers. I feel like I was good at that uh, most of my time when I was a college professor, and I'd like to find some place where I can start to do that again, even though, you know, I'm, I'm fine teaching. I like teaching. I love teaching. If there's one thing I love teaching, um, more than teaching, it's helping teachers be better teachers. But anyway, uh, so you know that's sort of a, a frustration, but also part of the high, part of the low. But I, I learned a, a lot of great things. I, I learned about uh, the five E lesson plan format: uh, engage, explore, explain, extend, and um, well, I've got to get engage written down twice. So apparently, I need to look at my notes again. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I know in a lesson plan, I use the read, write, think model of lesson planning. I know how to integrate pacing within a lesson plan. I know how to show where certain standards have been met. Uh, and you know, I've taught my students how to do all of those things as well. But uh, learning a new way, a new lens through which to view um, lesson planning was wonderful. Uh, so the 5e lesson planning I learned. I learned about um, national board methods of doing well on the teacher evaluation and, and where I could find more information about that. Uh, that was wonderful. I got to learn about how teachers do conferences and how they believe conferences work. Of course, I've, I've done conferences myself. Um, sometimes I forget to do them. Uh, I, I learned 
about how to bring more um, literature into the classroom beyond just Anglo um, literature. Of course, I've already known a little bit about that. You can go back to Doc Carter Does His Homework and see what I was doing when I was at Carson and doing the workshop model and how I try to get students to look at mirrors, to uh, look through windows, and maybe expand beyond the traditional English language arts curriculum for 11th and 12th grade. Uh, but I learned more about that and, and more reasons why that needs to be done. Um, perhaps the most interesting thing that I um, learned via one of the presentations was um, Make It Stick. There's apparently a book called Make It Stick, The Science of Successful Learning. There was a workshop on that, and so I learned a little bit about retrieval and tried to put that in with cognition and prior knowledge and some of these core key concepts that, of course, I know and that are still relevant, and I don't know whether they're still being caught, taught at colleges of education or not, because I know some colleges of education have become very ideological in terms of what they are professing or proselytizing, uh, such that I sometimes wonder if students are still getting those basics, those sort of ed psych and child psychology basics that are um, that transfer to all of the content areas. But anyway, that was that was wonderful. That was probably one of my favorite things. Of course, I'm also having the opportunity to walk around, chat with people, and see what are their favorite things, and that was wonderful too. Another thing that was interesting was, and I learned this early on, and this is how it connects back to my wanting to, to do the White Boys Guide to Woke Teacher Education programs or something like that. Uh, another thing that I noticed early on was that I was the only white male in the room. And that means that there were no other white male participants in ILI in the rooms where I was, uh, or at all. Um, and there were no white male presenters. So there were no ILI leaders who were white males. And there were no ILI, quote unquote, students, first year, second year, I'm a second year or third years, that were white males. And I mean, I thought there was any number of ways that I could go with this. Interestingly enough, I was just coming off the podcast where I talked about race wars and NCAE and whether we really need to be worried about white, white fragility or um, sustained socioeconomic stability, uh, which, you know, you can go back and listen to the show to see what I think about that. Uh, but you know, I'm a white guy who doesn't mind talking about race. Um, I'm much more outspoken on the podcast than I am if you see me in a presentation type atmosphere like that where I'm not a, uh, a presenter but I'm a participant. Um, I'm rather quiet, quite rather reserved. Uh, the podcast is what allows me to sort of exercise my voice. It also allows me to edit as much as I like and to redo things as much as I like. <laughs> so there's that. Uh, whereas um, doing things live can be a little bit more sketch for me. Um, so, you know, I don't do it live. But I did notice that I was the only white male there. Now, I know that NCAE and NEA uh, have initiatives, and there are plenty around the state and the nation to, to help people of color, uh, uh, teachers of color, become leaders, and, and I'm okay with that. Um, I, I'm not okay with it such that it, is, it could be sort of a pushing out such that no white males should be considered for leadership positions because uh, that that just that just sucks i mean uh, you know and this is what i would tell the white the, the white boy who's going into a teacher education program is um, a lot of people that you meet are going to make you the representative for all white males all right and they're going to see in you 
decades, if not hundreds of years of oppression, and they're going to see your ancestors, whether it's fair or not, and they're going to think that you have certain things that you may or may not have. You're going to have certain advantages that you may or may not have had. I mean, I grew up in trailer homes, for goodness sakes, uh, with um, parent figures coming in and out, all right? Um, I was a wick baby. Uh, so I, there are things that when people see me now, particularly as sort of a robust, outspoken person with a PhD, they have certain assumptions, right? And they think that I am like my forefathers. And you've heard this before in terms of, you know, being very careful not to equate that one black student in your class with all black people everywhere. Well, it happens in critical race theory uh, nowadays, too, and in the woke culture. So what we hear a lot is, white boy, hush. You've had your turn. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you are the oldest of five boys that your mother had you when she was three days away from turning 17 years old. And by the time you were four, uh, your parents had divorced and started remarrying and marrying other people left and right. <laughs> it doesn't matter that you were a wig baby. Your whiteness is all that matters and you've had your time. So be quiet. Now, the truth is you may not have had your time, but the idea is that you're to be quiet and let other people speak, but not, not really let other people speak, but they are going to speak instead. Uh, so there was any number of ways I could have taken this. I could have spoken up many, many times. You know, I, I saw where the connections were at a high level uh, in terms of, like I say, ed, um, ed psychology, child psychology terms, the whole Vygotsky, Piaget, and all those other folks that sometimes new generations of scholars want to um, pretend like they don't exist because they're European. Uh, but they connected all the other stuff that the newer, quote-unquote, newer scholars are saying, too. Uh, and we really ought to embrace the full history of as psychology, child psychology methods of teaching. So I had a choice. How vocal was I going to be? I decided not to be that vocal. And I decided to listen. Decided to not let anyone else have their time, but just to see, to observe what would happen when I, as the only white male in the room, was quiet. And I did speak up in group situation once or twice, and it didn't seem like the the participants who were mostly white women or women of color, and then probably the third population in terms of numbers would be uh, men of color. And I, I, I don't know, it looked like there was a lot of just black versus white. Not, well, I shouldn't say black versus white, but black and white. I don't know if we had people who would identify as mixed race, maybe a few. I, 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 I don't know if we had that many Asian Americans or Latino Americans or Latinx Americans there or Native Americans. I think maybe that's something that the, um, the organization needs to work on. But uh, generally, um, it, it seemed like there were white women, black women, black men and then other and the one white male could have been put in that other group too but anyway i spoke up a couple of times and i didn't necessarily get the feel that the group the peanut gallery particularly were interested in what i had to say so that certainly didn't make me want to speak up more uh, but but that was fine uh but you know i got a chance to listen i got a chance to to learn when when there was something in small groups when we had small groups that's something that uh, bothered me or that i was concerned with or that i sh should have been concerned with uh based on the information that was shared with us and not not necessarily having a problem with presenters but agreeing that so the, some of the information that they were uh, sharing was problematic and that was basically their point too was that it was problematic and we needed to work on this as teachers um, essentially 
I was no worse for wear for not speaking up. Uh, it actually was probably more enjoyable for me to be quiet and to see, uh, or at least try to see, where other people's minds were, where they were in their own stages of development, and to watch them grow. That was more enjoyable than trying to be top dog or trying not to fumble through, um, you know, my frenetic thoughts, which is often what happens when I don't have the um, opportunity to edit. So I guess my point here is I, I wanted to reflect on ILI. I wanted to create what I was calling the minority report since I was the only white guy there. And I, I mean, I guess I can't, I can't say uh, that I'm feeling too oppressed because when the one other white male showed up to talk to ILI, it was the president of the organization. So, you know, I mean, come on. But anyway, as the only white male there uh, and having my sort of weird conglomeration, um, conglomeration of experiences, um, I feel like I was not any worse for wear to just watch and learn. And so that's sort of what I wanted to share. And I don't know if that necessarily is supposed to be applied to uh, white males everywhere or those who are new. I think if I do do the white guy's guide to woke teacher education, um, I'm going to have to really think about how I think someone, particularly someone who uh, rails against those notions of whiteness and uh, richness, quite frankly, uh, or socioeconomic status, someone who is a first-generation college student, uh, how they would deal with that. Because as a first-generation college student myself, uh, I think that regardless of race, one thing that we as first-generation college students want to do is we want to have the full college experience. And I don't know that uh, first generation white bot guy uh, would be able to have a full college experience by being quiet. But I will say, for what it's worth, uh, there are some times when learning comes from listening and watching and observing, being that participant observer, and just watching other people grow and not feeling like you're the father or the expert, that you're just a person. You're like, you're like a fly on the wall. Um, and so my minority report is that, my, my minority report is that um, I am no worse for wear for having taken that strategy. In fact, uh, I probably enjoyed it more than I might have if I had tried to get another word in edgewise. All right, so folks, we've talked about the health plan and the uh, finagling that needs to happen there. We've talked about the insidious teacher shortage that will not die as a concept and whether it is really truly a teacher shortage or a hiring shortage. I have asked you to contact your representatives and ask for that legislation that will create a system by which we can tally how many people apply to every K-12 position and also allow them to give some demographic information regarding years of experience, uh, certification, and other credentials such as advanced degrees. And I have, within the last few minutes here, given my minority report of the excellent ILI, which I think is supposed to be closing next year due to grant funding, but if anyone from NEA is listening, we really are enjoying it in North Carolina. NCAE is doing a great job with it, and it's a real shame that it can't continue in one way or another, and I think it would be a great boon to teachers and students in the state if we could find a way to continue ILI for all teachers in the state that are interested in one way or another. So if there are opportunities for us to continue ILI, 
I, either as ILI or as another entity. Um, I know that NCAE members would continue to benefit from that and, and get a lot out of it. I certainly have. All right, folks, that's the show. Knock, knock, knock. There goes the doc. Mm-hmm.